<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're uh, here to talk about the positional reviews, continuing on with those, and we're going to do the interior defensive line. Uh, those are the down linemen here, and we're going to talk about those with our good friend Gabe Ferguson. Gabe, how are you doing, buddy? Hey, Ken. I'm, I'm doing well. Just finished up watching the uh, AFC Championship game. Um, saw the, the Chiefs defeat the Bengals in a very close one, and I, I'm ready to talk a little bit more football. Yeah, it sure seems like if the Ravens could have been there with Lamar, they would have been in the Super Bowl right now. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. Um, they they didn't look like a team that was, you know, a different level as the other teams in terms of everything else around them. You know, the defense was championship level. You know, you you had a running game that was as good as as any positional group I think in in the NFL, and you had a strong offensive line, and those are a lot of the key factors. Um, we saw the Chiefs win even without, you know, a wide receiver group. They were depleted there, and they were still able to pull out the win with uh, Patrick Mahomes not playing at 100%. So I think it, it could have been theirs if they had, you know, the full roster. I have heard it said recently, or seen it said on Twitter, that the Ravens didn't really have that tough luck with injuries this year. I don't know how you can get there. I think anytime you get your franchise quarterback hurt, you are so screwed, it's you're beyond screwed. That's why all the rules exist to protect the quarterbacks in the way they do. I, I think if you look at it on any kind of a weighted basis, they might not have had as many injuries as in the past, or even as an average NFL team does. Really don't know about that, that second part. But they certainly had a very, very, very serious injury at the wrong time. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the quarterback is obviously the most 
positional valuable player on the field. I mean, MVP every single year is always the quarterback. It's it's the most important position. Um, Lamar is a unique and like I would say generational talent at at the position. So like not only are you losing a starting caliber NFL player, but you're also losing an elite player at that position who's capable of kind of changing so many dimensions of your offense. So I really think that is absolutely, you know, not true because yeah, they didn't have as many injuries to other positions as last year, but you also lost your top two wide receivers and your quarterback. It's, Mm -hmm. It's really tough to have, you know, a functional offense when you have those three pieces missing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We need to thank our sponsor, liquid death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Please give their product a try. They've been good to us. Uh, let's, let's get back to talking about the interior defensive line. Cause that's who we're, we're, we're talking about that. It started the year. I would say as the deepest group, maybe other than safety that the Ravens had, they had a tremendous group of safeties with Tony Jefferson, plus the big four who played all year, you know, was, were, were on this, was on this team to start the, were on this team to start the year. And, and that, that defensive line group, Calais Campbell said we're nine deep during camp and they had to cut a player like Isaiah Mack, who, I predicted would be taken from the practice squad. I just didn't, I'm shocked that they still had him in December to activate him. Yeah. I mean, I think nine deep was pretty accurate with the way they were playing, you know, throughout training camp and throughout preseason. Um, Mac didn't, like you said, didn't make his way onto the roster until later in the season, but he did come in play a game. Um, you know, I think they had to let him go the following week. And then he, he did get picked up, obviously, as, as you're referring to. Um, so I think he, you know, he is an NFL caliber player. And obviously, you know, the, the rest of the depth there that the, the Ravens had, they they rotated through, up, through, through it the entire season. So, yeah, they had a, a lot of good players there. Yeah, I mean, this has always been a rotational team. And I, it has served them very well at certain positions, outside linebacker and defensive line in particular. Uh, they've done a they're not a good job. They kept a you know fresh fourth quarter offense a lot, even though this year, obviously early in the season, that was part of the Ravens' problem was not finishing. But uh, Calais Campbell, I think, is someone, for example, who played between 77 and 80 percent of snaps the last five years before he came to the Ravens. This year is down to 51 percent of snaps. I think the the, the fewer game, the fewer uh, he played fewer games, but I also think the lower percentage of snaps in the games he played is really helping him at this point in his career. Played 51% of snaps um, in uh, in 14 of 17 games played at age 36. I mean, that is impressive for anybody at that age um, to be playing that many snaps in a very physical position, demanding position. Um, and he, he was used, I think, probably more versatilely than any Ravens defensive lineman. You know, he would align you know, over the tackle, over the guard, over the center at times. Um, And he was really consistent still, I think, at this point of his career. It's really impressive what he's been able to do. And um, the Ravens have benefited greatly from his presence on the field. Yeah, absolutely. Still, in in terms of our personal notes we take, he probably shows up as much as any player. Roquan would be the the other player shows up a lot. Queen does too, but Roquan a lot. Um, Yeah. Ridiculous number of notes on a weekly basis. I would often make the point if my star treatment thing, if I didn't try and mix it up a little bit, Calais <laughs> would be in there pretty much every week. Dominant run defender still, uh, still a very good pass rusher. And, and to have him come back and really help fuel this defense with five and a half sacks. And a lot of it is not just him doing the fueling. It's him finishing. Uh, it's him getting the early pressures on some of those sacks that were by other people. But the Ravens had a lot of dual pressure 
sacks this year. If, if, you know, one man gets there, then the other man finishes kind of thing. It's just the Ravens' way right now of getting sacks. They don't have a bunch of one-on-one winners. But to the degree they do have one-on-one winners, Campbell is one of the guys who's a, a big difference maker off the line of scrimmage uh, in the middle of that line. Yeah, and and he, I think if you look at some of the the stats in terms of like the pressures and, and the sack numbers, you know, he, he led not just the, the sacks total, but like on like a snap by snap basis, he was the most productive in terms of percentage of snaps where he was, you know, generating some sort of pressure. Um, and, you know, at, like I said earlier at his age, it's, it's just very impressive. And, um, you know, he's been, I think, a hall of fame level player um, in, in this league. You know, he's had a very long career. He's been very consistent over the whole length of it. Um, and it's, it's been a joy to watch him, I think, as a Raven. And, and I'm glad we've gotten, you know, this final year out of him. Maybe there might be more out of him, but, you know, he's definitely up in there in age. So we'll have to wait and see how that turns out. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be interesting. And obviously it's one of the really big questions about the Ravens this next season is does Coleus Campbell return? And he's he's a sack short of 100 at 99. He has zero career sacks in 15 postseason games, which, by the way, very much like Chris Jones. You saw that, that he had his first team. Yeah postseason sacks tonight so uh, it just seems to me like there might be a level of unfinished business and i think it might all come together if lamar gets signed in the next five weeks if he does then i think the ravens have the room to not cut campbell to put lamar on the tag because they're going to have to make some adjustments to put to, to put lamar on the tag and campbell might have to be one of them uh, Gus Edwards might also have to be another. They have a they have a good amount of space such that they can fit him on the cap if they make a couple moves like that. Um, actually, they might be able to get away with just Edwards if they really wanted to do it. But either way, they're going to go into this offseason very tight to the cap. They'll be tight for a while. Then they'll get untight by making some big release and or restructure. And that's where the 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 you know the Ravens are going to be playing this entire offseason until they get Lamar signed. The other option is they tag Lamar, they trade him. He becomes somebody else's problem in terms of the of the cap, and the Ravens get a ton of draft capital, and they they have a different set of problems to solve. Yeah, I I completely agree, and I think for Campbell as well, you know, if if the Ravens do go ahead and and, and trade Lamar, I, I don't think this is a team that he'd want to play That's on right. for for like a, a last year. If he does want to stay around the league, you know, one more chance at a at a championship, the Ravens aren't going to be in the position to offer that if if Lamar Jackson is not on the team next year. Um, and and like you said, obviously the, the cap situation is is one that's very important for this team. Um, the difference between Lamar Jackson playing on, on a new contract versus um, playing on the the franchise tag is immense, um, and that's really going to determine you know what this offseason looks like entirely for them. Yeah, I mean, I I'm I'm not sure exactly how much they'll have, but it could be you know thirty million or thirty five million dollar difference, and it really depends upon how steep the Ravens want to make that contract. We, we saw a year this last year where um, uh, Watson had it all. I mean, he had a hundred percent guaranteed contract. So in a way that kind of made it easy to, to put give them all the money in fixed years and, and, uh, and not, not have a higher load in the first year, but that kind con- that contract is going to get really ugly, really quick for the Browns. And they're going to have to, they're going to have to live with that. Uh, with Campbell, you know, it's six and a half million dollars uh, is is what the difference is between cutting him. And I think it's six and a half and not four and a half. But anyway, if I, I, I would agree with you entirely that I think if Lamar signs, I think then Campbell stays. If Lamar goes, then Campbell probably goes as well. 
Yeah, and you know, I think he probably wants to get that 100 sack number. I would imagine there's someone who's who's willing to to pick him up on on you know a, maybe a one-term deal or kind of like one of those fake two-year deals. Um, and whether it's not with the Ravens, I'll be you know I would love for him to come back and play for the Ravens. Obviously, you know he's still contributing at a high level, uh, but I, I think there's probably a, a likelihood that he plays in the league one more year and get that 100 sacks you know take one more chance at, at getting a, a ring and i think you know the way that he's played throughout his career I'd, I'd love to see that for him yeah well i would too and i'd love to see it be with the ravens absolutely let's move on justin matabike um led the internal uh, led the uh interior defensive lineman in the percentage of snaps played this year at 59 percent. and and why did that happen well matabike's playing a lot more rundowns than he had in the past he was primarily a passing down guy um before he had five and a half sacks to tie with Campbell for the for the lead among the interior defensive linemen that's really good I mean to have two guys with five and a half sacks on your defensive line I mean not everybody has Chris Jones not everybody has Aaron Donald and the guys who don't they don't typically have two guys totaling 11 sacks between them yeah and I think that's definitely something that was possibly like a bit of a change in scheme um, and, and what Mike McDonald did when he came in as defensive coordinator, I think he allowed his defensive tackle to be a bit more um, attacking in terms of, you know, getting upfield and then generating pressure, a little bit more of penetration than maybe what we had seen before with Wink Martindale, who liked to play, kind of play the run first at all costs and, and you know, maintain cap integrity instead of getting upfield and, and trying to get some pressure. So I think partially that that is due to some of the changes in scheme but i also think you know matabike coming into his his third year um you know i think there was a lot of people who thought he would have a breakout season in year two that kind of fizzled a little bit we saw some flashes um in year three you know i think we saw a progression continue in that in that manner where we get more more good plays you know obviously the sacks numbers improved um but i still think there's a chance for him to really take another step um because you know, you look at the film and you and you see him really flash like impressive, right. impressive traits uh, several times, and then you kind of have a, a long period of time where there's nothing, and and you, it's not a consistent like down to down or even game to game. You know, he'll have some games where he's like all over the place, and some games where he's completely limited. And I think if he can be more consistent in that manner, then he can really elevate his game to the next level. Yeah, I agree completely. There is a, definitely an uneven nature to his play, and and there's week to week variation at a lot of positions. By the way. It's, it's normal to have guys who star in one situation, they don't star in another. And it can be as simple as the guy opposite you and how easy he is or how much he fits your style to beat him. Um, it, it's good theory with regard to the attacking interior defensive alignment. I'll give you another one is that the Ravens played more defensive alignment per play this year. And in past years, in the, particularly in the Martindale era, they've been playing a lot of three and four outside linebacker packages, a lot of race car and four outside linebackers, and a fair amount of three rush packages. They didn't have the, the outside linebackers to do mm-hmm. that this year. So ended up with defensive linemen getting more snaps on, on high leverage downs where sacks are more likely. And it was good that Matt BK came through for the team in that regard. Washington chipped in with a bunch of plays, didn't really result in much of sacks. Um, and, and, but Campbell was the other one. Urban also made some plays this year. So, you know, a variety of, of, good interior playmaking from who they had active. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, and that's, I don't know if that's by, because of the, the nature of the players that the Ravens had, they didn't really have that, excuse me, the fourth defensive tackle or I'm sorry, fourth outside linebacker who can kind of 
come in and be that like over the guard or line up across, over someone on the interior and, and rush from that position that, that kind of had that big body um, who we've seen in the past, you know, obviously um, Pernell McPhee is, is the person yeah. we talked about many times in that role, uh, but we've seen other players do that as well as Darius Smith. Um, and I think, you know, they didn't really have that at that position this year. So that kind of made, you know, have two defensive tackles on the field together on a lot of like the, the passing situations, the third down situations where that hadn't been the case in years past. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, kind of a poor tackling year for Matabike. I think you might've touched on this earlier, but, but I'll just say that pro football reference and pro football focus both produce missed tackle numbers. My numbers tend to be between those two, but they're really extreme. The pro football reference numbers, he, uh, Matabike had six missed tackles, which wouldn't be great for defensive linemen. You don't want your defensive linemen you know, getting up as high as six missed tackles. PFF says 11 missed tackles. Okay. Now they're pretty tough and it's a, it's a, it's a definitional thing. They're pretty tough about any time, even at a fairly good stretch, you have somebody around the ankles, you're supposed to bring them down. And so there's, there's, there's missed tackles and missed tackles. And more than that, there's missed tackles and there's missed tackles in terms of retracking a runner. And you can actually have a very positive play that you create by getting a pressure, turning the quarterback, you know, 130 degrees or whatever and get him facing the wrong way and then let somebody else finish up a sack that could be a really good play still shows up as a missed tackle on your sheet and i i think that matabike um is is has had one of the players who really needs to clean up his tackling is justin but it wasn't all bad stuff there was some retracking of runners he's a naturally penetrating player gets in the backfield and that's where some missed tackles can occur because he doesn't have all that help around him you're less likely to miss a tackle if you're not out, sorry, if you are not in space, right? So if there's other players converging to help you make the tackle and you have a hand on the guy, you're less likely to get charged for the missed tackle. It should be obvious, but. Yeah, and I think one of the easiest places to be charged with a missed tackle is when you're a penetrating defensive tackle or defensive lineman and and you beat your guard and, and the running back, you know, makes a quick shifty move that, you know, will make a 300 pound defensive lineman miss, but is then, you know, also going to allow, you know, the linebacker to come in and, and clean up. Like you said, not, not all missed tackles are cre- created equally. And some of them have very positive impacts on the play. Um, I haven't not tracked exactly what these missed tackles are, but I think it's definitely something that can be improved on. I mean, either six or 11, that's still a pretty big number. Um, and ideally, you know, if you can turn some of those missed tackles into TFLs, then you're t- looking at, you know, kind of a, a superstar player if, if that if that is the kind of play that he's missing them on it would be a good off-season study to do to go back and look at what i suspect pff has their 11 and they have it per by game i could go back to my mm-hmm. notes i could check the what the what the ones i have and that might take some additional research to find the ones that they credited a missed tackle and i didn't have it as a missed tackle in my notes if that it but to find out then what was the result of the play or what impact did Matabike have on retracking the player? It, the problem is, no matter what I use, it's going to be a very low total of events. It's going to be a very low, um, not not well-controlled group of, of uh, data. Yeah, it, it's tricky to, to know exactly where those missed tackles are coming from. Um, and you can kind of guesstimate when you see something that looks like it might be there um and and yeah it's, it's a little tricky unless you have access to to full like way that they're tracking their data as well um but it's, it's it is something to be to look at um and and see you know how much of those how many of those plays are actually resulting in you know you know a, a guy who bursts through the hole and, and gets you know 15 yards downfield 
because of a missed tackle or a guy who gets cleaned up for a two-yard loss, even though you didn't make it. So I think that's that's obviously a huge difference, and it'd be something to look into for sure. All right, let's move on. We'll talk about Broderick Washington. To me, on the on the defensive line, he was the breakout player this year. Played 43% of snaps, way up from last year when he's in the 20s. Um, played the run well, I thought, very well. Got a lot of penetration, like Matabike. Rushed the passer well. He had one sack only, but he had additional pressures. A lot of it was leading to clean up sacks and leading to clean up impacts and leading to just some incomplete passes as well. But he had six passes defense at the line of scrimmage, and that led the Ravens. That was one of his really large contributions to this team. Yeah, um, that's an interesting stat. I didn't, I didn't realize, but I, I do think that I agree with you. He was probably, you know, one of the more surprising players for me this year. I um. I, you know, knew he was, you know, a rotational guy. He can, you know, fill in as needed, um, but he never really flashed the kind of plays that made you look at him and say, okay, this is someone that I really want to, you know, keep around as as a kind of like a core, like defensive tackle. And I think my impression of him greatly elevated after this past season. And I think he totally took on a different role for me in terms of what he can be on this on this team moving forward. You know, if he can play five, 600 snaps for you and, and give you some pressures, you know, bat some balls down, um, be a, a really stout run defender. Um, also someone who's versatile, you know, he played um, mostly, I would say, kind of a three technique position for the Ravens. He played a little bit um, nose tackle as well in, in, in some packages and, and played a little bit on the outside of the tackle, but it was mostly interior. Um, but, you know, he he's someone that I think really has, has continued to step up his game. Um, and, you know, going into this season, defensive line was, was a kind of a huge question mark in terms of what the Ravens would be going for in the future. Um, but if you can keep, you know, at least one of these two, third year going into fourth year defensive linemen, um, I feel much better about them moving forward because before it was really just, I hope they can keep Matabike, but now you have Washington who's there as well. That's somebody that you, you really can count on potentially as, as another stout piece to you moving forward. Two young, two young players there going to their fourth year still, but you got to keep getting younger because you can't have everybody just <laughs> about to get free agency is kind of like the most desperate feeling of all. So Travis Jones, at least as a younger player, really did work out in his rookie year. I want to go back to another point about Washington, though. Washington, extremely good missed tackle rate. Only, again, the two the two goalposts are two and four missed tackles per PFR and PFF, respectively, uh, on, on 25 solos and 24 assists. So he's a guy who helped clean up a lot. A lot of uh, defensive linemen tend to get more solo tackles, uh, and this was this was uh, not the case uh, with him. Uh, I agree with you entirely that I think this next year there's a pretty good chance that one of those two uh, should be resized. Kind of the Ravens' way is mm-hmm. to is to figure out which third year player you want to try and uh, you know get value from with a with a a what ends up being a team friendly deal. They did it with Chuck Clark. They did it with Patrick Ricard. Those became enormous central cornerstone pieces to the defense and offense, respectively. Yeah, and I, I think with these two players, you you have a lot more upside, I think, with Justin Matabike. Um, I, I do think he has another level that he can play at. You know, his high-level games and, and plays, I think, are significantly more than what we've seen from Washington. Um, but kind of the down-to-down kind of dirty work that, that Washington is capable of doing is still also very valuable. Um, so in an ideal world, I would like to extend both of them. 
Um, I, I don't know how feasible that is. I, I think that BK probably will be more expensive based off, you know, the SAC yeah. production. Um, the pedigree is a little bit more there. Um, but, you know, and if, if that's kind of the decision that has to be made based on cost, I understand that, you know, we've seen that kind of decision before, you know, extending Tyus Bowser and, and letting Matt Judon walk, for instance, you know, it was kind of a third of the cost of, of the Judon contract. And you, you still have a very good player um, who has an important role in the defense. And it might be that type of situation. Um, and, and I think I'd like to see one of them extended, obviously, before they become free agents so that you have a little bit more, um, you know, just consistency in that defensive tackle room moving forward. So let's put this in the form of a choice. And and I really have no idea exactly where these contracts might end up, but let's say you could have Washington for three years, 10 million extended beyond year four. So we'll play under the year four original thing. And then it's three more years, takes him out to year seven. So you sign him for five, six and seven, or you, you can have three years for 10 million for him or three years for 20 million for Matabike. Either one of those two is available. Which one do you want? I'd probably take Matabike. Okay. Um, because I think there's a, you know, there's a chance that he plays, in this year four and, and really does what we talked about with him, like being that more consistent down to down basis player um, and kind of looking at being like a five, top five, top 10 defensive tackle. I think that upside is available to him. Um, and if you could get him for that contract, I would absolutely do that in a heartbeat. Okay. And there's, and there, in either case, there might be well a $10 million deal. You might be talking about maybe two and a half million you get out of in the, in the final year, if it, if it didn't work out and maybe 4 million in a, in a $20 million deal, uh, maybe even five. Yeah. Uh, so that's, I, I, it'd be interesting. I, I, I want to see it happen. So uh, let's keep our fingers crossed because those guys have been very good. Let's move on to Travis Jones. Uh, 30% of the snaps is a rookie. First of all, did not expect that to happen. Uh, I expected some, some non-activations, but Michael Pierce's early injury in the year really made him the regular nose. Uh, yeah, I think that, um, I actually expected him to play more after the injury to Michael Pierce. Um, I, I would agree with you, you know, when, before that happened, then I thought, I thought he would have a pretty small role as, you know, maybe a game day inactive. Um, but I think that I was actually a little surprised by that because he, when he was on the field, I think he played quite well, especially in, in run defense. And he didn't really offer much as a pass rusher, but um, I liked what I saw from him, and he really helped control the line of scrimmage for the Ravens from that nose tackle position um, pretty consistently, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think if if I were to say about this, I mean, one of the things is tape from Connecticut is wildly inconsistent. And part of that was just how keyed up the opposing offenses were to take care of him because he was he was all Connecticut had in, ter- in terms of, a, you know, a defensive player. He was he was pretty much the whole deal. And, you know, there are a lot of scouts complained about his tape and said his tape is not very good. You know, you can you can you can see a big physical guy there. You can see a guy who can throw people around, but his actual game tape is not that good. Well, you know, he played pretty much every snap. He got very tired. And yes, he didn't look that great in some fourth quarters. If you if you're you know looking around at that, I think. You know, in in thirty percent of the snaps, very reasonable workload coming to the NFL. You know, he's playing thirties. I'm not saying it felt like a vacation to him, <laughs> but but he, but he certainly is playing a lot fewer snaps than he did in college, and he's probably double teamed a lot less or somewhat less than he was in college as well. I, I just I'm I'm very excited about how quickly he disproved kind of some of these tape things because very common defensive players, you know, playing the first day at any position, but particularly on the defensive line aren't there in terms of weight or body sculpting 
to really play that position in their first year in the NFL. And I think Jones, he still has, I, he still definitely has room to get better in terms of both of those things, in terms of, of, of mm-hmm. strength and, and body sculpting. But he's, uh, he's already shown he's good enough at where he is. Great base to work from. Kind of like how I feel about Tyler Linderbaum, honestly. Just a great base from, from, from where to work from. Didn't have a, you know, I wouldn't say he had a great year in either case. But I, but I think that in Travis Jones' year and in, and in Linderbaum's year, both starting from a great spot. Yeah, I completely agree. I think his upside is very good. And I, I'm glad the Ravens were able to get him where, where they did in, in third round. I thought that was very good value. Um, and I I think one interesting thing I, I saw, you know, I pulled from, from some of his stats was he was actually the Ra- only Ravens player on the defensive line who played more rundown snaps than passing down snaps, which is interesting um, considering you know, generally there's a lot more passing plays available to any given player. Um, so I think that kind of indicated how the Ravens viewed him um, and what his skill set was best suited for as, um, you know, as a, as a rookie defensive tackle, that he, he really was, you know, much more stout against the run than offering upside as a, as a pass rusher. And I think that's probably fair. Um, you know, that's the pass rush against, you know, good interior offensive lineman is something that needs to be learned from a technique standpoint. You, you don't ha- have the ability to kind of just bull rush, you know, in, interior lineman, like you could maybe the, the smaller, some of the guys in college that you were going up against. So it, it's definitely um, going to be something for him to improve on, I think, but if he can, you know, use his body and use his length and power and turn that into a, a more consistent pass rush as well as being a good run defender. I think he can be a, a very high end defense, defensive tackle and nose tackle in, in the league. Yeah, I have it as 180 and 151 in terms of, of run and pass snaps for him and only three and a half yards per carry by the opponents when he was in there on run play. So that's, you know, that's obviously very good uh, and better than the team as a whole, which is maybe even more important that you, you have some context for that. Um, it is, we see this with Isaiah likely on offense. So I just want to point out that it's, it is something that the team has a lot of control on whether he's in on a run or pass play, obviously. And it's, it's a function of, you know, down and distance, obviously play substantially. So does game situation in terms of if, if the other team's behind and uh, or, or the other team's ahead, they're, they're, they're going to want to run the ball and you're going to want Travis Jones in there. If it's, if it's a uh, third and one, fourth and one kind of situation, again, you know, lots of situations like that, or Travis Jones comes in. So it's, it's uh I know I had heard it said that Isaiah likely it was somehow a tell that the Ravens are going to pass the ball. Well, no, it's a tell that it's third and eight <laughs> that any, any NFL team's going to pass the ball. So anyway, Travis Jones, I kind of feel the same way about it, but he he did. I thought he made some contributions um, against the pass. And, and what I really want to see this next year is Michael Pierce playing nose and Travis Jones playing three tech. I think that is a potentially devastating duo. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll get to Pierce um, shortly, but I, I think you know having two guys who are like three thirty, three forty pounds in the middle of the defense that are are not just kind of boulders, but can also you know move around pretty well for their size. I think will be a really great combination for the for the Ravens on the interior, and then you know you can move around someone like uh, a Bike as well, and kind of get you know matchups. Um, where you'd like them and, and you even think about maybe doing some like kind of like bare fronts or, or something where you where you have guys lined up in, in one-on-ones and the ability to kind of win um, from the interior uh, with, with your defensive tackles and that could be really interesting to see 
Yeah, and, and that's I that's where I'd like to get Travis Jones is out into some one-on-one matchups on a guard. He didn't didn't get a lot of that in his rookie year. It's not like he didn't get any, but he didn't he didn't get as much as we might hope for. And uh, it'd be nice to see him see him get some of that. And in terms of how you stop the run, this is when missed tackles take on a completely different light, or not even missed tackles, just penetration takes on a completely different light. You get those guys standing up and being one of them being I'm not going anywhere, and the other guy on on a you know, single team just twisting his way or penetrating his way into the backfield. He creates all kinds of opportunities for the other players. Uh, and, and run defense is such a team thing to have people flow into the ball behind, you know, Travis Jones. And, you know, they, the linebacker has got to be salivating, looking up and seeing Travis Jones with a one-on-one and this penetration opportunity. And then how they're going to play off that in addition to being secure about Michael Pierce holding his double. And that's, it's, it just, I think it, potentially is a very exciting thing for the Ravens Ravens defense as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw the the Ravens linebackers really benefit from the defensive line this year. And you know, we we haven't this isn't a linebacker show, but I think part of the, you know, ability for them to perform and produce at the level that they did, a lot of, you know, some of the tackles for losses, some of the ag- aggressiveness that they were able to show in, in the run game really stemmed from the play of the Ravens defen- defenders up front. And their ability to, you know, maintain gap control, their ability to be stout, um, and even take on double teams often with, with some like Travis Jones and even Bradrick Washington and Campbell at times, um, we're asked to do a lot of the dirty work. And, and you know, we see Rookwan Smith sometimes having these games where he has 15, 17 tackles, um, and that's a large part because of the way the defensive line is playing in front of him. Yeah, it harkens back, and and this is a three-four and not a four-three like it was for Ray Lewis, who really thrived in the four three with Syracuse and Adams in front of him. It's just a little different, but it's still having it's something great about having big guys in front of you that the guards can't easily climb to level two. It takes them a little longer to get some movement, to get going. Uh, that, that provides a linebacker usually all he needs in terms of trying to diagnose that play, make his read correctly, get to the proper hole and and make his tackle before that guard can do anything about it. Yeah, it is a little bit different of a of a NFL these days, but you know, frankly, the Ravens did have a lot of two different tackles on the line and and two edges, um, defensive mm-hmm. ends, outside linebackers, however you want to describe them, because you know they're playing majority of their snaps in nickel, so um, it's it's not that much different in terms of what the linebacker can do with with two big stout defenders in front of him. Absolutely true. Absolutely one hundred percent true. And you know what? That's that the being able to play the run effectively in nickel is the tenant around it's the rock upon which the ravens defensive church is built yeah it is it is uh you know and they've had all the times when they're playing two two and two meaning two defensive linemen two outside linebackers and two inside linebackers they've had a star pretty much at every level when they did that you know they they, they went for a whole series of defensive line stars Haloti Nada was probably the longest lived in there, but they had Kelly Gregg in there, you know, really efficient tackler, even as a, as a number two guy um, at, at the lowest. And they had, they had Terrell Suggs and, and Jarrett Johnson, two outstanding edge defenders um, you know, doing that. And of course they had Ray Lewis and CJ Mosley. And it's, it's absolutely the central tenet to playing defense on the Ravens. I, I mean, dime you, you can talk about has been a big organizational philosophy, but really stopping the run in the nickel. Uh, something that oftentimes other teams will try and force you into because they like to run out of 11 personnel against your nickel. And the Ravens say, uh-uh, we're not, you're not going to do that here. Yeah, and I don't want to get too much off on a tangent here, but I would just throw in um, the fact that 
the insertion of Kyle Hamilton into the nickel package really improved their run defense a whole lot. So that was part of it as well. Don't want to completely ignore the fact that he was a major contributor in how well they defended the run after he, he became a starter for them, essentially. Um, but the defensive line also, obviously, a big part of that. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Michael Pierce. Was really off to a fine start for the first yeah. couple of games. Then he got hurt in that New England game. Uh, you know, I, I would – I'm – he is one of the guys that could save a couple million on. I really hope they don't try and do that. I know they have some younger defensive linemen, but Michael Pierce, uh, it looks like he can still play. And I, I think, you know, just from what we saw in what was, I think a little under a hundred snaps that he played this year. Um, that was enough for me to say, this was probably a pretty good signing. Um, I, com- I completely agree. And, and the fact that he played that many snaps in what was it two and a half games or mm-hmm. I think he got hurt pretty early in the third game. You know, he was out there a lot and he was very active. He was disruptive against the run. He was disruptive against the pass. Um, I thought he was a, a very good signing when, when they got him, I, I wasn't sure, you know, exactly, you know, what level of shape he would be in. He hadn't played very much football over the previous couple of years. Um, and frankly, he hasn't played very many snaps over his career. You know, he's been someone who, when he was with the Ravens was a very low snap player. Um, you know, he missed you know COVID year. He had, he was injured another year when he was at Minnesota. So the overall wear and tear on his body, I would say is probably pretty low for, for an NFL player who's had the length of a career that he's had. Yeah. Um, but you know, he was in there on passing downs. He was in there on running downs and he was making an impact on both. And I, I think people had an image of him as just this kind of like, you know, taking on double team nose guard who, who really can't do much as a pass rusher. And I think that's completely wrong. I think he is a, a two-way player. Uh, and I think he, the Ravens saw him as that way and they were, you know, using him in that way. Um, so I, I hope that, you know, he is brought back. I think that they can do that. So he's, he's someone I'm looking forward to watch next year. Yeah, me too. And and you're, you're right on the money in terms of when he was hurt. 45 snaps the first game against the Jets, 35 snaps the second game. And nine, that was Miami, and nine snaps in the third game. So he was uh, he was on the field an awful lot for uh, you know what you expect out of your nose tackle typically, and and uh, that that certainly helped the Ravens. Let's move on to Brent Urban. Um, he, he was he was playing a decent percentage of snaps. He was right around 19, 20, 21 percent um, until Campbell got hurt, and then his he got a lot more snaps then and got up to twenty seven percent for the season. Uh, replaced Campbell when needed. Uh, key player definitely made some significant plays on the year. Uh, I, again, it was a year where because of the reduction in three and four outside linebacker packages, there's more room for uh, another interior defensive lineman to get more snaps. Uh, that said, Brent Urban, typically a run defender and not a passing down guy. Yeah, he, when I was looking at the kind of the snap breakdowns, he was basically 50-50 um, playing, playing run, playing pass. Um, you know, I think I think you know he's some someone who I think is similar to Project Washington. Um, maybe you know, obviously further along in his career, um, but he's a good rotational player. He can give you some some pass rush. He's a solid run defender. Um, he's someone who you'd like to have on your team as your you know your fifth or sixth defensive lineman. He can step up and play more if you have injuries. Um, he's he's still very capable. Um, he has that length that you love. You mentioned the pass deflections. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that he's always been pretty good at. I think he's had a couple of field goal blocks as well um, earlier on his career. So kick you know, six. He, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, uh, Will Hill. Um, that was, um, yeah, he, I, th- I think he was a player that, you know, I was glad the Ravens brought back. You know, they felt like they needed, you know, another body there that was a veteran that could, you know, 
do a lot of different things for you. And he's someone that I think could be on a similar plan moving forward, you know, one year contracts, maybe, maybe two year contracts, but I think he's definitely someone that I'll, I'll look to continue to have on the roster moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And 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 the Ravens need players like that at a couple of different positions. I think Josh Oliver could be that kind of guy. I think Malik Harrison could have that kind of a career with the Ravens and maybe maybe play the Albert McClellan role for multiple years. Geno Stone, if he's not, you know, sucked up by somebody else because, you know, quality safeties can be a little bit difficult to find. I think he could stay around for years as as the Ravens special teams captain. There's a lot of guys in, in the Ravens obviously value special teams, they value kick coverage. Um, that, that I think could fit in that snap. But Brent Urban is one of those guys, kind of like Pernell McPhee maybe on the on the defensive line, who you could keep around for multiple years as kind of being a specialist run defender. And also just a guy you can have, in, it's okay to have him inactive and paying him a vet man contract if he's always there to, to, to step up when you need him. And, you know, the Ravens, I, I would say going forward, they really need to have a, a six to make five roster on the defensive line, meaning five actives, one of them inactive, so you have six on the on the roster at defensive line, and then I want one more guy on the practice squad pretty much all the time, it, and that's that's kind of my ideal uh, situation on the defensive line. But unfortunately, other teams figured that out, and the Ravens' defensive line has been pilfered like no other practice squad in the NFL. Yeah, and I think the Ravens have a very good um, scouting eye when it comes to the defensive line, and especially in recent years, they haven't had very many misses. Um, they haven't been drafting them very high, generally speaking. Um, but even when they have taken someone as early as the second or third round, they've pretty much all come in and been, if not starters, then rotational pieces who have, who've made, you know, often second and third contracts in the league. Um, and it's just a position that they, they rarely miss. You know, I think they had one miss recently. Um, I, I think it's, the guy off Texas A and M. Yeah, hey, that's the one. I'm, I was just thinking about it and tried to get his name. Let me go back and I'll find him here. I think his name might have been Daylon Mac. Mac. Yeah, Mac as well. It was a yeah. different Mac. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he kind of you know I think he had some issues with his with his conditioning, um, and that was a problem for him. Um, but for the most part, they they have not missed um, at defensive tackle, and, and even the undrafted players that they've they found, um, they haven't converted them to fullback. They've they've been good players who have been you know either rotational defensive linemen or someone who they've been able to stash on the practice squad and bring up to play some meaningful snaps for them at times. They really are on a great run with that. And even some guys that have moved on were good players. Chris Wormley, Zach Sealer, uh, you know, both good players. They got something back in the case of Wormley. They, unfortunately, they just had their roster was bulging when they let Zach Sealer go to the practice squad. They knew there was a risk. Uh, but anyway, great, uh, great group of, uh, of selections for sure. Let's talk about the field here. Uh, two, only two other guys actually got snaps for the Ravens in 2022. Isaiah Mack with 26 snaps and Rayshad Dickles with 15 snaps. Uh, Mack was claimed when he was caught. I, I was really surprised he was still around in December. Yeah, after the preseason, I agree with you. He had he was one of the most you know disruptive players I think the Ravens had throughout preseason, just in terms of his you know snap to snap you know pressures. He was generating quality plays. Um, Obviously, it wasn't somewhere where the Ravens needed a player like him to be on the game day active roster. So um, maybe, maybe other teams were waiting to see how he would, you know, look in a, an actual, you know, real NFL game before they swooped in. And in this case, it's exactly what happened. As soon as you know the Ravens brought him up and had to release him, um, he uh, got scooped up again. So um, you know, I think that's one of the the concerns that 
you have when you when you have good players and, and when you try and stash them on a practice squad, there's always at risk of having somebody else take them. But um, it's it's better to have good players, I think, than than not. Yeah, and in in Max's case specifically, it wasn't the end of the world that he was taken by Seattle. He 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 was in his fourth season, so he'd been a UDFA, or sorry, a UFA at the end of the season anyway. So at that from that point. You know, the Ravens released him, what, end of December, end of week mm-hmm. 17 or something, whenever it was, then then uh, they didn't have any remaining likely activation for him. So uh, it was actually OK at that point. Um, I, I do think the Ravens are going to try and get younger. So I don't think Rashad Nichols is on a scholarship or anything like that. I think they'll bring in competition for him. Uh, he may be at camp. He may not. He may even not be. But if he, but he probably will be. He's probably makes the 90 man roster and. Uh, the Ravens, uh, you know, will look to keep him around. There'll be rule of 51 until then. So he'll just be making scale. Um, not really a reason to get rid of him before camp, but but he'll have competition. I, like you, I think because their desire would be to get younger, I think they'll try and identify a rookie they really like. Somebody, maybe a small school guy or or maybe just an undervalued larger school guy that that they like more than other teams. And maybe, again, they look for some positional versatility with a guy who can play fullback or or, uh, or you know, the other thing is an offensive or defensive line combo guy, uh, if they could find that again. Uh, but anyway, they, they have a few different choices with that. Yeah, uh, what year is, is Nichols? Is he going into his third year? Uh, he... I don't. I don't think. I don't think he's played. I don't think he played before this year. But I'll check oh, so here once. He'll be a rookie then. He's someone that I think you know would have a chance if he sticks around. Um, depending on how some of the other players, um, you know, get. Well, I guess we talked about Campbell, you know, potentially, uh, be, you know, not finishing his career in Baltimore. Um, if if he's gone, you know, and and maybe Michael Pierce as well, both of whom are not necessarily locks to be on the roster in 2023. I think Nichols might have a, a legitimate chance of, of making the roster. I, you know, he only played in one game, but I thought he, he had some nice, some nice snaps that he played. So he's someone that I would keep my eye out for 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 the future. I think he's an option and, and he's a, he's a rookie this year. So he's, he's uh, now I I always have to lean on other people to, to remind me of exactly what the rules are in terms of activations. But I believe with an activation, he's, he's already started the clock running on his career, but it may be two games or something. And then, and, and that he still retains his year one status next year, which would be kind of nice if if true and so if 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 that's true then he's on the same footing as the other players he's just got to play better than them and you know being a slightly older probably more physically developed player he might be in a good position to do that uh but anyway it's uh he's he's one of the choices i don't think he's the choice necessarily one thing i do is i i think it's a little bit unlikely that the ravens use a draft pick with only five on the defensive line they still could because they you know they'll if they see value they'll take it um, but I think it would be very likely to be a late rounder, um, probably not a, not a three and not a one. I would say. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I, I think it's probably more likely an undrafted or probably multiple undrafted players they bring in um, and try to just you know have competition, see how they look, um, and and hope that you know they hit on, on one person. And as we already mentioned, they do have a good scouting eye. I think for finding unhired unheralded players and, and seeing talent that can be developed at the NFL level to be put into, you know, if, like I said, not a starter maybe, but someone who can contribute. Now we've been talking for years about how the Ravens needed to get younger on the defensive line. And they've kind of done it, you know, with, with Matabike at Washington, um, 
not now with Jones, mm-hmm. they've done a good job of using a little bit of draft capital, but not an unbelievable ton, a second, a third, and a fifth for those guys. Um, you know, honestly, g- kind of a bargain. Actually, was Matavike even a third round pick? He was a third, yeah. So 71, so three, three, five. Okay, it's exceptionally good value for those players. Um, and and it, it, if the Ravens are able to, uh, uh, you know, get a UDFA this year. I think they pretty much have as young a line as they need to have, particularly if if uh, if a player like Campbell, who's you know the Phil Necro of the National Football League in terms of his age not mattering. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, twenty twenty three, they definitely could look fairly young. But what's really going to matter is, you know, can you keep Washington? Can you keep um, Matabike? Because if you if those two are both lost in free agency, then you really have an issue in terms of mm-hmm. the players because essentially. You know, all those players, if this core players that we've talked about that are still under contract on the team going into 2023 are all brought back, they're basically all free agents at the end of 2023, except for Travis Jones. So you really need to either feel good about them and bring keep keep the young players like like Washington, like um, Matabike, maybe a Nichols if he has a good year or or somebody else who's a, a free agent undrafted player or, or maybe like a late round draft pick. Um, or you have to kind of do some different things, whether it's looking at, at players that other players or other teams have, have let go after their rookie deal to try and get someone who's at that same age range on, on getting into their second contract. Um, and hopefully someone who's not going to obviously break the bank for the Ravens. Yeah. I mean, I would think it'd be a vet man guy, but you never know the Ravens. It, it'll depend a lot on the Lamar situation. If, if Lamar's gone, they got a lot of room to do things. They also have draft picks. They'll, they'll have different ways to address their positional needs. But, uh, but if Lamar's here, then, you know, they got to get, make do with the resources they have right now, because there's not a lot additional happening at, uh, at, uh, at many other positions other than corner and wide receiver, where I think they will, they will make some yeah. moves. I think we hit on everything in terms of the kind of the guessing games. If if you, what kind of percentage chance would you put on either Matabike or Washington being extended prior to the tw- the end of the twenty three season? I would put it probably about ninety percent. I think there's a very high chance that one of them, if not both, are extended. Um, I, I think that is likely that they might happen in this off season for one of them. Oh, that that would be great, obviously. Yeah. But I I was going to say seventy percent. I think. It's, they, they might both want to hit free agency. Washington is the guy who probably has a better handle on things. And the Ravens are probably saying we'd rather have Matt Abike of the two. So we'll make an offer to each. We'll make an offer mm-hmm. to Matt Abike if he doesn't take it. Then we'll make another offer to Washington. Yeah. And hopefully he takes that. So they're, they're almost like competing with each other for a single contract is the way I would kind of look at it. But so I think about 70% about as high as I can go. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't looked at the, the contract numbers for them in specifically for both of them in 2023 but i know i'm pretty sure matt bk hit an escalator for his contract to go up um and washington might have as well but he might not have um but they're not going to be like the cheap rookie contracts that you think about as like you know the less than a million dollars because they're going to their their fourth year um and they're going to be a little bit more expensive so if you can extend one of them you can actually save money on the cap this year potentially all right and 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 obviously if you or you let them play it this year at that level and then you and then you uh, yeah okay you can you can save money on the cap if you want to do it that way and give them a signing bonus that you spread mm-hmm. out over several years okay agree either way and and uh, you know it'd be nice to get four more years including this fourth year but years four through seven out of either or both of those players yeah. All right, Gabe, always a blast talking football with you. This is an interesting positional group. It's one of the fun ones to talk about because there's not a lot of 
really horrific things happening or, or huge holes that need to be fixed. It's basically, is Calais Campbell going to return? And what are they going to do about a couple third-year guys who are approaching free agency? Uh, but it's always great to talk football with you about that. Uh, you have your own show, The Situation Room. You do with Jordan Coe. And That's it's right. available right here on this uh, uh, on this uh, website, filmstudybaltimore.com. Tell folks otherwise how they can talk football with you. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Gabe Fergie. I um I'm pretty active in terms of talking about football. I I like to tweet during all the Ravens games, during other teams' games that I find to be interesting. Um, I'm pretty much always willing to talk about Ravens with anybody, and you know, send me a message on Twitter or DM me, whatever, and I'll love to have a conversation with you about it. Um, this off season, I'm looking forward to you know diving a little bit into the draft. It's one of the things that I really enjoy. Um, I've I've been you know spending time looking at draft potential players for, for years and years and years. So this is a fun time for me because we get to, you know, see some, all those players that have a lot of potential. So if you're into, you know, draft, um, definitely give me a follow as well. All right. Outstanding. Um, uh, other people out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, you have a new series starting. You probably, you may have heard it by now, but if you haven't, it's that one play. Pick one play in Ravens history that means something to you. It can mean something to you for a lot of different reasons. You be you in terms of what that is. If it's history, fantastic. Great event, fantastic. If it was your personal experience at the game, why you bought this guy's jersey, whatever it might have been, just DM me on Twitter. Or the DMs are always open. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'll get back to you real quickly and get you on the list. A lot of people have signed up already. Some of the good plays in Ravens history are already gone. I'm sure you have others that would that would fit the bill. About a 15-minute conversation is what we're looking for. So this is some shorter content for the off-season, some nice bite-sized things people can read even on a short commute. And I want to see if it's a little more popular than some of the longer shows we're doing. Gabe, thanks again for joining. Thanks, Ken. I always love coming on your show. Hopefully, we can do this again. All right. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.